near-death experience podcast item number 264 august 6th 2019 linda gabriel and life between lives welcome to the near-death experience podcast the official podcast of the near-death experience research foundation n-d-e-r-f dot org i'm your host john messer I especially want to welcome all the new listeners who have joined us over the past month. Our listenership is steadily climbing, as are the followers on our Facebook page and community. You can join us there, too, by going to Facebook and searching for Near Death Experience Podcast. I look forward to greeting you there. As a reminder to anyone who hasn't caught up on the voluminous work done by my predecessor, Chaz Hathaway, there is a considerable amount of fundamentals for you in the over 260 other episodes. Some sources that house podcasts for consumption, such as iTunes, only allow access to the last 100 or so episodes. But you can always access all our episodes on our website, neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. And I want to give a heartfelt thanks for those who are helping support this podcast by donating to it on patreon.com. If you'd like to show your support as well, please go to patreon.com slash ndecast. There's a link in the show notes for this episode as well as in the menu on our website. Thank you again for all your support. In this episode, I interview Linda Gabriel. Linda is a hypnotherapist who was personally trained by Michael Newton, PhD. This is the first episode I will use to explore the phenomena of life between lives or LBL. An LBL experience occurs when someone is placed under hypnosis and proceeds beyond a past life regression through their transition from that past life into the spirit realm. This spirit realm is where many people feel that NDEs occur. But no matter how extensive an NDE is, it is limited because the people return back to their incarnated life with us. So they only get a glimpse of what life between lifers experience. Because the life between life experiencers continue beyond that point into their time in the spirit life, where they not only reunite with loved ones and have life reviews, etc., LBLers also experience how their spirit force or energy is renewed and many other fascinating things occur. It's astounding. Dr. Michael Newton's Life Between Life research was conducted over a 30-year period on over 7,000 subjects. The breadth and depth of Dr. Newton's work is truly flabbergasting. Be advised, to best grip the scope of what goes on in the spirit realm in our life between lives, I strongly I very strongly urge you to listen to the YouTube video link I have provided in the show notes before you listen to this interview. This video is part of an interview of Dr. Newton. In it, 
Dr. Newton does a great job of giving a cursory overview of his life between life research. Note that Dr. Newton remained a skeptic of his own discovery of the ability to reach the spirit realm and our life between lives until his continuing research cemented his findings as objective, reproducible, and self-evident. After you have watched the Dr. Newton interview just mentioned, and you have listened to this interview of Linda Gabriel, you should definitely watch the documentary on Dr. Newton's work entitled Flipside, My Journey into the Afterlife, which was produced by Richard Martini. There is a link in the show notes. Here as well, note that Martini was a huge skeptic as he filmed the documentary until he underwent a life-between-life hypnotherapy session. That session, along with subsequent experiences that Mr. Martini filmed and or had friends and associates take part in, has brought forth even more tangible evidence that corroborates Dr. Newton's work and shows that these life-between-life hypnotherapy sessions are indeed revealing exactly what they seem to reveal, the deepest exploration we have of the spirit realm and our life between lives while we are there. Finally, you will absolutely be blown away from reading or listening to Dr. Newton's books because it is only there that you will get the complete picture of the afterlife as best as I feel it can be explained so far as uncovered by Dr. Newton's 30 years of research. If you are interested in near-death experiences and life after transitioning, I think you will be absolutely amazed and definitely challenged by what you will learn from Dr. Newton's research. I was and I still am. This interview is a very basic introduction to life between lives. If you are interested in our spiritual selves, you really owe it to yourself to discover Dr. Newton's life between life research through his books and the aforementioned videos to get a broader understanding of our souls and the spirit realm. Through his work, I have found strings of truth that tie together many of the otherwise seemingly contradictory data we get from near-death experiences and other sources of information about the spirit realm. Understand that we are at a point in our evolution where we are not only able to discover these data, but we are able to share it with the entire human race. This is a gift from our Creator. Cherish it and utilize it as such. And be especially accepting and understanding of those who are not yet ready for it. As a final word of advice to those listening to this interview and to those who comb through the life between life research, it is a challenging and inspiring trip down the rabbit hole of our spiritual selves. Remain skeptical, but remain open-minded and fasten your seatbelts.
Linda is an author, a holistic coach who holds workshops and utilizes many skills to help her clients. Among these are intuitive energy work, educational kinesiology, neurolinguistic programming or NLP, emotional freedom technique or EFT, psych K and cranial sacral therapy, as well as hypnotherapy. She's been a certified clinical hypnotherapist since 1992. Linda became a certified life between lives hypnotherapist in 2001. She was trained by Michael Newton, PhD. And in addition to teaching workshops, Linda offers private sessions in person or via telephone or Skype. She has been an assistant trainer for the Michael Newton Institute certification training and is featured in the 2008 DVD, Spirit Space, A Journey Into Your Consciousness, which is a bestseller on Amazon.com. She also is the author of two books from Berman Books Inner Power Series, Abundance for Life, Love and Money, and Weight Loss Forever. Linda holds a BA and MFA from UCLA and has spent many years of independent study in the fields of Jungian thought, symbolism, and myth. In the show notes, I have posted links to Linda's website, her publications, as well as to those of Dr. Michael Newton and the Newton Institute. If you are not familiar with Dr. Newton's fascinating work, that would be a very good place to start right after you listen to this show. Today, we're going to concentrate on a sliver of one of Linda's many specialties, Life Between Lives, or LBL, which one experiences under very deep hypnosis. I'm going to start by expressing my very deep gratitude to you, Linda, for joining me, and welcome, welcome, Linda, to the Near-Death Experience podcast. Thank you, John. Thanks for asking me. My pleasure. So as human beings, we tend to conceptually break things apart so we can understand them. And I can certainly appreciate how having the eclectic training you have will provide you numerous vantage points from which to look at things and of looking at the big picture of the knowledge we gain from transformative spiritual experiences. So absolutely feel free to bring in any other concepts to help enlighten us as we go along. Okay. Probably most who are hearing this have heard plenty about near-death experiences, but I'm not so certain they may have learned yet about the phenomena called life between lives. So let's start with their common ground to this discussion. Linda, have you ever had a near-death experience? I have not had a classic near-death experience uh, other than a rather uncomfortable experience under anesthesia during uh, when I was having a cesarean section when my first child was born. And I didn't go to the light. It was, it was very uncomfortable. But in my experience, it was, um, I felt like I had, I got really close to that edge. You know, I don't know if that could have been effects of anesthesia. The only person I've heard speak about this is, is what is, is it PMH Atwater? Mm -hmm. Yes. She's talked about some people who've had, not the most pleasant experiences. I, for me, I don't have any um, anything fearful about it other than um, I don't particularly like general anesthesia. I'd rather not have that again because I, it was actually, I think, an illusion that was created. Mm. But that's the closest thing uh, other than experience I've had in Life Between Lives uh, session of my own and then the many, many people I've worked with 
and uh, what they speak about. That was my next question yeah. is, have you yourself gone through a life between lives session yes, as a patient? I, or I have, client? yeah. And, and it, was, uh, it was really interesting because Michael Newton, my mentor, who um, did, did this work for several decades, I think, maybe a couple of decades, uh, had never had a life between life session himself. He waited until he retired because he said he didn't want to contaminate his belief system with his own experience. Um, I think that was a little bit of a mistake. I learned a lot about this work by having my own experience. So, um, and it was part of the training. So that's, I, you know, most people who have been certified by the Newton Institute have had a life between life session, at least one. And a lot of times one is all that people have. But let me explain a little bit about what a Life Between Lives session is and how it's different and similar to... Traditional hypnotherapy? To, traditional hypnotherapy, past lives yeah. experience, and also uh, near-death experience. So most people are familiar with at least the concept of a past life regression. Where under hypnosis, um, you go back and experience one or more uh, past lives. Um, I want to just make one little correction because I know it's been written down and this is a little bit um, uh, of my own opinion, but, but based in a lot of clinical experience, I don't think that you have to be really, really deeply hypnotized to access this information. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that's a belief that was written down and reiterated. And I think a lot of people feel like oh, I'd never be able to go that deep. And I, I found that light hypnosis is enough for people to access the the, uh, the information about past lives and life between lives, so um, it, it's a little bit um, uh, different than other people believe. But it's I found that that's that's been true for the work that I do. Um, anyway, past life regression. We go and visit a past life. In a life between lives session, we go usually to a past life, go through an abbreviated past life through the death and then continue on into what happens after a person dies in a past life. Now, for many years, people did past life regressions and they tried to go there and they would just, everybody would end up in a gray fog and nothing was being shown. And somewhere in the late 80s, I think that our higher selves, our guides, whatever that dimension is, said, you know, it's time for these people to access who they really are and remember more. And suddenly that gray fog started disappearing and people like Michael Newton started exploring that territory. And uh, now it's uh, quite possible for us to get at least some experience of what happens after one dies. Now, uh, the way that's different from a near-death experience is, of course, you don't have to go through the physical trauma. You're very comfortable and, and you know, in, in a very relaxed setting to access that information. Now, it gets a little bit tricky here because sometimes people come to me with the idea that, I'm, I'm going to say something that's kind of a paradox, but for people who've had a near-death experience, this won't be a paradox for them because they understand what I'm talking about. When you go into that time after you've died in a past life, it's, you go into an eternal time. And from that place, you can access this life, that life, and maybe some other past lives that your guide might want to show you. And so it's not like there's a separate in-between lives experience. It's like we go into the center every time from the spokes of the wheel to the center. Does that make sense? Like if each life is a, is a spoke in the wheel, 
to the, the hub. The hub is where we go when we're in a, in, a, in that spiritual, uh, a spiritually awake space, which means time is not so important. Linear time disappears, and that means you've got access to a lot more information about who you are on a soul level. And the kinds of things we discover are, you know, who, who is in our spirit, our, our, our soul group, our primary soul group, what kinds of things we do when we're not in the physical when we're in between lives, we're, we're busy, we're learning, we're often doing um, service work. There's a lot that's going on. And it's a little, I, most people in the near death experience only get up to the light. They don't go past it. Right. So, right. so there's um, a lot, the, the near death experiencers that I've heard from, and some people have a much more protracted experience where they do explore that world. And it's very congruent with the kinds of things people report in, the, in a live between life session. Uh, but a lot of time it's that they're learning a lot about why they have to come back. They often lose their fear of death, which is a real bonus. Um, there is, so a near death experience is a little bit more narrowly focused, I would say, than a life between life session. Does that make sense? It does, and, and you've touched yeah. on some things I want to go into detail okay. on, but I want to start with, you put them under hypnosis, they're in a previous life, you take them through the end of that life, their transition into the spirit world, and mm -hmm. can you tell us what people describe as they're coming out of their bodies, because in the end, yeah. people will talk about popping out of their heads yeah. and things like that. Yeah, uh, you know, usually they're, 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 well, one thing I can always, that they always say, and you know, It'd be so interesting to do this work before we've seen movies and been programmed with ideas about it. But it's just remarkable how it's always, they're always floating above, they're out of their body and they see their, their body and the people around them and what people are saying and doing around them. So um, they had that kind of bird's eye view and that's very normal for people. Um, sometimes there's experiences where, you know, um, in, in times not so far in the past, if you were like riding through the forest and you, you, your horse threw you and you were lost somewhere, you, people would, um, it would take them a long time to die. They might be abandoned, they can't walk, and they're basically starving to death. So it's not like, you know, they're, they're dying quickly, right? And so they go in and out of consciousness and sometimes they're not quite sure when it is, they, they might leave the body a few times before they really leave the body and it can get a little bit murky there because they're loose, they're not, the, the the um, moment of death is a little bit more blurry. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, I, always, I always tell the medical people I train to be professional at all times. Yes. You don't want someone coming back and filing an incident report. Yeah, exactly. And also um, certain senses, like especially like in an operating room, the sense of hearing. And I think that's maybe what was going on with me, that I was hearing things that my brain was interpreting in a negative way. So I don't really consider it a real near death, but I thought I had died. <laughs> and I was willing to, to in order to, for my son to be born. It was a really interesting moment of surrender. And the moment I surrendered, I came right back. It was very interesting. So I don't know if that counts or not. I don't, I don't really know. But, um, but uh, um, so everyone either floats or pops out. I have not had them tell me specifically. There was one gentleman who said something really interesting and poetic. He said, it's like, slipping out of an old shoe hmm. and uh, they usually feel very um, calm and, and much better as soon as they leave the body. Sometimes they've been very uncomfortable or sad or, and they just feel so much better. 
suffering with cancer or what have you. Yes, Absolutely. exactly. Or just the emotional pain too. Mm -hmm. So, um, or, and a lot of people come to the end of their lives, but they're just tired. They're exhausted and they're ready to go. You know, they're not necessarily fighting it. So who do and, we meet up with? Who do we meet up with? Well, um, now this is interesting too, because I've done a lot of these sessions and I know that when people have near death experiences, there's almost always someone there right there to meet them and make you know, but in, in the vast majority of the, the, work I do, I have found that people travel quite a ways alone. They leave, they, they feel themselves going literally up into space. It's like the space mm -hmm. around them gets darker first. And the void. Then get, yeah, then, they, then the light happens after that. But um, at first, when I was first doing this, I thought, well, that's not the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> you know, it was before I had my own experience. And it was really kind of calm. It's kind of... Um, I remember when I had my experience, I just had this amazing sense of love for the planet Earth. Mm. You know, I, I didn't feel so connected to the, to the life I just left or the people. I just felt this, uh, uh, I felt this great love and a bond with, with Earth. And then I lifted, that took me a while to leave, uh, uh, to leave that and then to go kind of through space. And then all of a sudden you're in this area that's light. Now, sometimes people are met by someone who is kind of an escort, a guide who escorts them to meet their soul group or to go to what we call the council meeting. Sometimes there's a council of elders that need to have a, a moment with you to review the life we've just left. And uh, also you can go to just to go and have a nice talk with your guide and ask the questions that you have. So, so our soul group, these are people we continually, we were initially yeah. created with, expand on that. Uh, we, we have a, a group of souls usually between six and maybe 12 that are in our core soul group. And these are people that we're here. We often share uh, talents and abilities and qualities with that group. There are personalities in soul. Souls are not just angels sitting on clouds playing the harp. There's energetic souls. There's healing souls. There's souls that are interested in knowledge and learning. There are souls that are very playful and, and funny and energy, you know, like they're bouncing off the walls and they're, and some are just really serene and quiet. And the group tends to share some of those qualities. They have those qualities in common. And these people are kind of like our repertory group that we reincarnate with a lot. And one of those people may be what we call our primary soulmate, which we agree to learn a lot of lessons together. Now, I know there's a lot of romantic lore about soulmate connections and if you're coming in to learn a lot of lessons with someone it's not necessarily going to be about riding off into the sunset together we may come in to challenge each other mm -hmm. and so i think that that is a little bit uh, um of uh, people are like looking for their soulmate and it's you know it might be that ex-husband <laughs> that is your soulmate and you were working on things that were difficult together it isn't always a harmonious experience to have but sometimes we come in and just decide we're going to just go in and have fun we're just going to be, it's going to be easy, especially if we've had a few difficult lives. There are people who are in, in life just to enjoy the experience, and that's fine too. It all counts. It's not, um, it's not judged in that way that we, we tend to do from our human side. And we do this purposely over and over to grow? To Yeah, I'm, you know, this is kind of the mystery of it all because on one level, I believe we're already evolved souls and then we've chosen to become separate and or unlimited in order to have experiences that we cannot have in the place where there is no space and time and in a way it's this kind of like adventure land that we come here 
and that our home is um, is is where it's our destination, but it's also where we've departed from. And so, the way I think about it is this: if you you know you go on vacation, right? And where do you end up after a vacation? Come back home. At home. So that's not, you know, it, the destination isn't the point, right? It's not like you go on vacation in order to find your way home. You go on vacation to have an experience that you can bring home with you. So that's what, what we're doing. That's the way I look at it now. And another common um, uh, misconception, I'm going to call it, but it's actually true that Earth is a place of great learning. So it is a school. But so many of us have suffered at the hands of a very poor educational system that the idea of school feels like reform school. Like I must have failed the fifth grade 10 times if I'm still here and I'm not making any progress. But if you think about school as a place where you learn things and you love it, it's a place where you work on your hobbies and you tinker and you learn and you enjoy, like, you know, maybe it would be maybe your favorite summer camp or something. You realize that we're here to have these adventures and that it's not in, in any way a punishment to, to be here. In fact, there was this one gentleman who came to work with me. And in, in this line of work, you get people who really kind of have a memory of what it was like before they came here and they want to go back and they feel like it was a mistake. Like, why did I come? Why am I, why am I in this crazy <laughs> loony bin called Earth? <laughs> the Earth. I chose this. <laughs> yeah, I, I chose this. And this, this man was, even because there is a piece which I don't know if, if you, it's not talked about too much in Michael Newton's books, but a piece of uh, life between life sessions session is when we check in to what you were aware of in utero before you were born. I was going to ask you about that. Yes. Tell yeah, us we'll about talk, that. Yeah. But let me, let me just finish because I'll, I'll tell you about it in a second in a little bit more detail, but even in, in utero, he was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to experience gravity. I don't want those clumsy humans handling me. No, no, no. Right. And so we go back to the time before and his, his life between life session was very simple. He was, he and his guide were standing around something. He described it was kind of like looking into a well, but when he looked into the well, he could see all his lifetimes on earth and he got really quiet and it was just him and his guide standing there. And all of a sudden this man had been fighting it and fighting it and fighting it says to me in this most calm, beautiful voice with a serene face, he says, I love going to earth. <laughs> just not when you're here and you don't remember why you, you're here. Right, exactly. And so at a very, I mean, on a fundamental level, he learned in that session, and maybe that was what he really came to learn, is I love going to Earth. I chose this. I think it's crazy when I get there, but this is my choice. I, it's not a mistake for me to be here. He let go of that fight, at least for a few weeks. I, don't, I didn't follow him long term. <laughs> so we have a... We tend to rebuild our problems even after, after we've solved the problem. That does sound like life, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a DNA ancestry everyone's yeah. kind of familiar with. You have red hair, your mom had red hair, your son's going to have red hair. Correct. Um, but we also have a soul ancestry. We do. And Talk sometimes about. those connect and sometimes they don't. So it's very interesting. I mean, one of the things that I'm learning and through this work, because I came in being into this work, I was a pretty judgmental person and I've learned that I don't know what's going on with people, you know, and, and certainly it can, it can change your point of view about all kinds of things, including political things, because we've got a question, you know, about reparations that are, and, and I'm thinking, well, how do you, I mean, so many of us who maybe in one color skin now, we're in another color skin then, 
you know, in our soul lineage, we've been many different races and ethnic groups and different genders. So um, you have a, like a different idea about um, who's, who's really responsible, right? For, is it the whole group or is it the individual souls that did things once upon a time? So it's a, it's an, it makes it a, actually easier to step into forgiveness when you realize that we've all been on different sides of these stories. There's, and acceptance. I, yeah. How about um, people who, because when you come back, you, yeah. you said we kind of have a repertoire of people we come back with. Sometimes maybe you're the wife, I'm the husband, and we switch yeah. roles. Mm -hmm. So how do people feel about seeing themselves as a different gender? Uh, how does this come into play with people who are maybe transgender or yeah. gay or lesbian? Yeah, that's that's a, a good question, and it's kind of more than one question there. So I'm going to just, first of all, yeah, say that, that people who are find themselves being a different gender are extremely calm about it. I'm, I find it surprising, and I've had that experience too because I've had a, a, several past life regressions. And, um, you know, it's just a different feeling. It's... Uh, I can remember uh, one where I was a man and I was a fisherman and I remember looking down at my hands and they were strong. I was rather, you know, like lean and strong and I had this really deep sense of pride about the work that I did because I knew my family would never go hungry. Like I wasn't owing anyone to anything to anyone in order to feed my family. I could always fish and bring them food. Like I felt like the sense of, really like being a breadwinner on a really deep primal level as a man, which, so it's more that than the kind of more, what we're kind of really hooked into gender identity right now in, in an interesting way. Now, I got into trouble one time in another interview because I said that choosing to be uh, a gay or, or, you know, lesbian, homosexual was a choice. And, and, and the man who was interviewing me happened to be a gay man and he, said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, oh, you're right. I don't want to be misunderstood. So I want to clean that up right now. It is a choice at a soul level. Right. Before but you incarnate. Exactly. Once you're here, no, you don't have that choice. You've already made that choice before you come in. And there are lots of interesting reasons why people will choose that. And, uh, and they're all different. It's not one size fits all. I feel like there's something interesting happening that the uh, blended gender kind of thing that's happening with younger people is probably something that souls are wanting to experience and they're going to learn from it. So that's another thing that I've learned not to judge because everybody has reasons on a soul level for a lot of these choices and they are made. Not every choice, by the way, I mean, we really do have free will and free choice as a soul. No one's forcing us to be here no one's forcing us to choose the things we choose. That's all done from, a, a, we may be encouraged by our guides, but we get to choose. So some of the things that we choose are kind of a little bit more set in stone, but a lot of free room for creativity. And, and you don't even have to do the things you said you do. You can change your mind. You can nullify your contract. There's, um, it's basically you're here to do the best you can. I work with a number of people who actually took on way more than their guides advised and they, mm. they wanted to learn fast and they wanted, they're like, you know, super achievers. And some of them have paid a price for that. It's kind of exhausting. And the guides they, do warn about that. I they hear. do. Yes. They'll, and on, if you're kind of taking it a little too easy, they might 
say, suggest, but they're not going to force you to do anything. It's, um, there really is, a, as far as my experience has been, free choice in this. Even with that guy who didn't want to come in, turns out he'd actually chose it. <laughs> okay, so our spirit guides, who are they? What are they? Have they previously incarnated? Are they spirits who never previously have incarnated? Yeah. My understanding is that there's a hierarchy of guides too. So what can yeah. you tell us about this? Okay, and I'm going to just put a little cautionary note on this that um, one of my metaphysical teachers said, you know, when we talk about these hierarchies, that it's not necessarily the truth, but a way we can talk about the truth with our human mind limitation. And we have found that even in, um, if for those who have read Michael Newton's books, there is a kind of taxonomy of soul colors that indicate the more evolved souls. Um, and I'm going to answer your question about the guides in a second, but sure. I just want to say that uh, I'm going to advise people not to get too hung up on where their, what their soul status is because we've how, had how you young the soul yeah you yeah we've had we've had guides come in and kind of through different um life between life people around the world the about 10 years ago the guide started saying quit asking us about the colors and the levels that's just a human preoccupation it's really not what you think it is mm -hmm. and there was one fellow who's working a violet soul is one of the higher level souls according to that system and he and a yellow soul would be a lower not not as an advanced soul so he was working with what he thought was a yellow soul because that was the color that was being predominant but when he got into the session it turned out that that man's soul was really violet and he had changed it to yellow for a specific purpose because he wanted to go back and experience things he could only experience as a yellow soul so we don't really know the whole picture there and these and, these and there are colors there are colors in the spirit world that are completely we, we don't even have them here so right yes yeah. no, yeah go ahead go ahead well i would just say this um about about so i'm I, there's a one theory which i'm i will i'm not going to say is i'm 100 percent with it but it feels more and more true or more likely to me that all of these guides and our higher self may all be dimensions of us of uh, of our of our soul mm -hmm. So ourselves and, from yes, a different and, perspective. Exactly. And yet it's easier to think of them in the third person and talk to them. But, but it's sort of a, um, important to remind yourself that this may actually be your own wisdom. In a, and I mean that in the most elevated sense, that it's good wisdom. Um, so there's that. But if you want to look at that kind of hierarchy, the way that, uh, that it seems to be is that m most souls who are guides to human beings have had lives as human beings. And they have learned and they have moved, they have graduated, so to speak, to be, to be guides. And not every soul on the, um, in the spirit world becomes a guide, but that's something that's a calling. And there are, you know, we find like camp counselors in training, <laughs> like guides can be in training. But usually when a guide, usually when a guide is, has gotten to be a guide, they are no longer incarnating on earth. And so... It is, I've had a session where um, a fellow met his guide and he said, oh, wait, it's my friend from college, my best friend from college. And I, I knew that, what, and his friend from college is still alive. That's something else. Let me just say this, that we, we always have a part of our energy in spirit. 
And so when you look at your soul group, there will be people there who you, who are alive on with you now, but they're also there in your soul group in the spirit world. And you can talk to them on a higher self level in a life between life session and learn a little bit more about them. Uh, I understand that's something that, that can be really good. You couldn't possibly bring all your energy here because the human body you couldn't, can't. couldn't take it. Exactly. And so, but I also know that this was not his guide. His, I did not want him to leave thinking that his college roommate was his, was his guru, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so sometimes I have a little conversation with the guide in my mind and say, are you going to handle this or do you want me to take care of it? Because I know that that would be a mistake for him to leave. And so I didn't say anything, but then he told me, like about five minutes later, he said, oh, it's not, it's not my college roommate. He just, my guy just showed up that way to let me know I was a friend, that he's a friend and that I wouldn't be, that I would feel comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. so, so guides can take on very human form. And in Michael Newton's book, he describes them that way with faces and clothes and medallions around their neck and all of these things. And I find that an awful lot of the time guides just show up as color and energy or a felt presence. They may or may not show up as a, as a human form again it all depends on our our what the client needs to what, see what the yeah, yeah what the soul the the person i'm working with needs to see but i do find it interesting that the kind of idea that you're met with someone and that that they take you somewhere that's actually it's amazing to me how many people travel quite a far distance after they die to a place where they stop and then they're met and they're uh, often they'll go to a place that might be quite beautiful, maybe a really idealized garden setting or a place in nature, and then sit and have a conversation with their guide there. Or they're just in a kind of space that's very comfortable and healing. Sometimes they get, um, an, awful, an awful lot of the time, they get work done uh, to clean up any um, contamination we could say from a, a really difficult life so they're yeah, I want to talk there's, about energy there's healing clean. yeah there's okay, healing so, that happens yeah so I, I wanted to clarify something when you refer to the soul the color of the soul in the spirit world that is yeah. different from what people see as auras in earth in the earth realm you know i'm i'm not sure it could i, I well first of all i think that the when people see an aura it's one thing, the, the kind of aura cameras where you get a picture of it, I think that's a little bit more electromagnetic based. So um, I can't say, it'd be really interesting to have someone who can see auras tell me, you know, the color of someone and then let's see what they say. But again, remember, we had that violet soul who took on the yellow color for a purpose. So it's, um, I, I don't know if it's the same thing. I really don't. So do we choose but to... I, 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 let me say this. People do experience themselves as having some kind of body, even when they've left the body. Like they have a sense of self. Mm -hmm. um, and they have senses and they can see. It's, it's maybe astral. I don't know what to call it, but they're, they do have a sense of, of a, a, you know, occupying some kind of form. I, I could put it that way. Yeah, I think it's interesting how people will say they see the light, but it doesn't hurt. So obviously yeah, we're right. working with a different kind of eye. Yeah, they it's see, really bright, but it doesn't hurt their eyes. Yeah, They see 360 spherically all the way around, which is different. Yeah. Uh, they hear the most beautiful music, but we don't have ears. There's no air there, or so, yeah. and we don't talk. There's no air going past vocal cords. It's telepathy. More right. Or. 
So that stuff all kind of makes sense when you look at it from that, from our perspective of understanding physics, I guess. Yes, and I, I don't get the, uh, people do not report that 360 degree vision in a Life Between Life session. It's more, more narrow focus. Just that's one difference, I could say. Interesting. Yeah, because they're not really, remember, they're, re, they're going through a, 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 a they're, they're re-experiencing something. And to some degree, that's being run through, that experience is being run through their, um, their neurology, right? It's not quite the same thing as if you've actually left the body. So they're not really going out of body when I'm working with them. So some of those things that a person would experience in a near-death experience, is gonna, it's going to be different. Kind of looking at, a, at looking at a movie of a play rather than watching correct. the play itself. Yeah, that, that's a good analogy. Yeah. Do we call But, but I want to just add one more thing. Yeah. If, 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 we're, if, if they're open to it, I really believe, I've come to believe that some people are not really, really ready to experience unconditional love. But they may not get the 360 degree visual, but an awful lot of people just get love bombed by their guide. And they really feel for the first time, maybe since they've been in, in this physical life, they really feel what it feels like to be loved un unconditionally. And that can be li life changing right there. Yeah. Yeah. So do we reincarnate, do we incarnate other places than earth? You know, um, I have had quite a few uh, people who actually this earth is not that where they originated and sometimes they have an inkling about that. And sometimes they have no clue until we get into the session. That but again, it's things we have to learn and we might experience those things better. Yeah. Somewhere other than this place. Exactly. And some of them have like, um, I just worked with a gentleman and he's, he's not from around here, but he has a lot of technological ability. And he works in, you know, software design and he, he feels that some of that, that's what he came here to do. It's a gift he's here to give and to support um, the what's happening with, you know, all the changes with, with, the, with the computer technology. In uh, Eben Alexander's book, Proof of Heaven, he said, I saw beings there that were not human and they were way smarter than humans. They're way smarter. Yeah. I've even had one person, one or two, maybe have had guides that presented themselves as geometric forms, almost like, like sacred geometry. So they didn't even have the, and, and that was, we, the session was fine, but it wasn't anything that either of us expected. So, yeah. We are about halfway through my interview with Linda Gabriel. This is a good time for us to pause and ruminate a little bit on the information she has provided. I will post the conclusion of the video, part two, in item number 265. Please check out the extensive show notes for these episodes if you have not already done so. Until then, this is your host, John Messer, reminding you it's all about attitude and gratitude, and our attitudes should always be love.